preach to you today from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to look at verse 13. Maybe it's a scripture that you've looked at before. And we're going to read uh, from the New King James Version, beginning with verse uh, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this church, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Praise the Lord. I want to preach to you today on the church Jesus is coming back for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that as your word comes to us, it comes not by the brilliance of man, not by the wisdom of man, but it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you said your word would not return void unto you. So today, as your word travels through the airwaves and into every house, into every home, into every family, into every marriage, thank you that your word will accomplish all that it has has been sent out to accomplish. Your word will prosper in the lives of those today who are hearing. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Family, firstly, I want to just say that when it comes to the doctrine of the return of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, and this brings us to our first slide, we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but his return from heaven will be a literal, personal, visible, and glorious one. And we wait for that day. Amen. With a hopeful expectation in our hearts. And might not know ex what the exact day will, will be because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, he said, but of that day and hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And whatever that day is, and until such time, we do what Jesus told his disciples in Luke 19 and verse 13. He said, occupy till I come. And so this brings us to our next slide. Until that time, until such time, what do we do? We occupy and we advance the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. The question, though, is that when Jesus does return, what kind of church will he be coming back for? I like what Peter, what Paul rather, writes in Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, he says that he might sanctify and cleanse her, and he's talking about the church, with the washing of water by the word. And then verse 27 says that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy 
and without blemish. The Amplified Bible, verse 27, says that he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she might be holy and faultless. The Passion Translation, verse 27, says, all that he does in us is designed to make us, you and me, a mature church a mature church for his pleasure until we become a source of praise to him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. I think these are phenomenal words that come out of the mouth of Paul as he is describing the kind of church that Jesus is coming back for. But back in Matthew 16, Jesus some, says some interesting things about the church. And here, Jesus is in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And it's a city that is located to the southwest base of Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon stands about 7,000, 8,000 feet above the, above the city of Caesarea. And not only that, but according to Greek uh, mythology... A nearby cave or grotto under the mountain was reputed to be the birthplace of the god Pan, who was the most famous fertility symbol in ancient paganism. And this god Pan was the legendary god of nature, and his worship was important there, which is why the town took on the name Panias, and then since then it's been changed to its original name, Banyan. And so I want you to understand the setting here and the picture here that all around the land was filled with temples of classical pagan religion. And this was the place that Jesus chose to see if any of his disciples really understood him. And it was against this backdrop that Jesus pitched his claim, who do you say that I am? And by the way, this is the first distinct mention of the church in the New Testament, and it's given by Jesus. I want you to know that I believe the greatest privilege in the world is to belong to Jesus' church and to be a part of the family of God here on this earth. And I love the church, and I always have since I got saved on that Sunday, uh, the 14th of November, 1982. And since that time, my life and my whole being has been literally consumed with the greatest institution ever created by God himself, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that if we're going to understand the kind of church that Jesus is coming back for, then we have to ask ourselves a very simple question, which brings me to my next point. What is the overriding theme of the Bible? Well, there's no better place to begin with than the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings. And if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, everything started with God. And this brings me to my next point, that in the beginning, before time was, God already was. And it was the same God, God alone, God in all of his sovereignty and all of his might and power, who created the heavens and the earth. 
And the Bible says, this is my next point, that God took five days to create the heavens and the earth. And then on the sixth day, he created his masterpiece. That's you and that's me today as well. Hallelujah. And then I want us to look in Genesis 26. Genesis 1 verse 26 rather. That he says there, then God said, let us make man. Let us. God is speaking to the Trinity there. And he's saying, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, of the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And verse 27 says, and so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Which brings me to my next point. We were made in the image and likeness of God. That's absolutely phenomenal. If you have to contemplate on that fact, I mean, we could be here quite a while just thinking about the fact that we are made in the image of God. But then the next, very next verse in verse 28 says, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so what do we find here? Here in verse 28, family, we begin to witness the very first mandate that God gave to Adam, his first creation. And... Which brings me to my next point. This mandate reveals the very heart of God for mankind. In this verse 28, it reveals God's heart. It was the first mandate given to God, given to Adam by God, and it reveals the heart of God for mankind. And this mandate has never changed. Why? Because God's heart for all mankind has never, ever changed. The amazing thing is that even though Adam messed up and rebelled against God and was ultimately thrust out of the garden, God's heart for mankind never, ever changed. And notice what God says to Adam, which he is saying to every one of us today, every one of you watching. He's saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, and have dominion. In other words, when we look at these scriptures, we understand that God's purpose for Adam in that garden was for him to be blessed. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you and I to prosper, to flourish, and every day live an overcoming, victorious, and triumphant life. And the amazing thing is that as long as Adam stayed in fellowship with God, this was more than possible. And in that, we see the heart of God for all humanity. In other words, no matter what we might be facing, no matter what we might be up against, no matter who is saying what, no matter who is doing what, that in all things, in all situations, in all, in all circumstances, in all things, whether it's night or day, whether it's sunshine or raining, whether it's summer or winter, in all things that we are overcomers, we are victorious, and we are triumphant. And family, I want you to know that from Genesis to Revelation, this is the overriding theme. 
And all because of what Jesus did for you and I when he hung on that cross. And when we get to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, which, by the way, is not the revelation of the Antichrist, neither is it the revelation of the judgment of God. The book of Revelation is as, and has always been the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you can't have a revelation of Jesus Christ without having a revelation of his church. The two are inextricably linked. I want you to know that because the church of Jesus Christ is the closest thing to the heart of God. Hallelujah. But when you get to the book of Revelation, and in particular, you begin to read the seven letters that were written by John those seven times. In those, in those seven letters that were written there in the book of Revelation, you will see the, the words, he who overcomes. He who overcomes. So if you look to the church at Ephesus, all right, to the church at Ephesus there in Revelation 2 and 7, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. And then to the church at Smyrna, Revelation 2, 11, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And then the third letter, to the church at Pergamos, Revelation 2, 17, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And then to the church at Thyatira, Revelation 2, 26, 29. He who overcomes and keeps my words. Can you see those words there? He who overcomes. And then to the church at Sardis, Revelation 3, verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And then to the church at Philadelphia, Revelation 3 and verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. And then the last church, to the church at Laodicea, Revelation 3, 21. To him who overcomes. Seven times we see in these seven letters, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. And then when you get to Revelation 21, verse 7, you see there that it says, he who overcomes. And actually, the word overcomes is mentioned eight times in the book of Revelation. And in the Bible, the number eight is a very significant number. It's actually spoken of about 73 times throughout the entire Bible. But the number eight speaks of resurrection and new beginnings. Do you remember when God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel? That The Bible says seven of the sons stood before uh, Samuel. And as he was about ready to anoint those sons, God said, no, not him. No, not him. And then the next one. Seven sons passed by until they called David, who was the eighth one. And God said, that's the boy that I want you to anoint as the next king of Israel. And when David was anointed king of Israel, there was no other king like Israel, like, like David. He brought in a new order. He introduced a new order, a new beginning of how to worship when it came to the tabernacle. When you think about the book of, of Genesis chapter 1, there are exactly eight steps to creation. And every one of those steps begins by saying, and God said. So if you look at Genesis 1 verse 3, Genesis 1 and 6, Genesis 1 and 9, 1 and 11, 1 and 14, 1 and 20, 1 and 24, 1 and 26, eight times, eight times, and God said, and God said, and God said. And when he said, something new was brought into existence. 
That's, I'm just trying to give you scriptural backup as to why the number means, the number eight means resurrection and new beginnings. You think about Noah. Remember Noah and his wife, two of them? They had three sons, and each of those sons had three wives. Those were eight people that God moved caused them to move into the ark. The floods came and destroyed the earth. And eight people were used to bring in a new earth, a new order, a new way of doing things. So when it comes to the Bible, we, or the number eight, we need to understand that it means resurrection and new beginnings. And eight times in the book of Revelation, we see the word overcomes, overcomes, overcomes. It's interesting that in the Greek, the word overcomes is a verb that is in the present and active tense. So what does that mean? In the active tense means simply that it is an action, or the present tense means it is an action that is in process with no completion. It is in process with no completion. So what does that mean? That means that, that it can be rendered as the overcoming ones. The overcoming ones. In other words, you and I. It wasn't speaking about a, a group of people that way back then overcame. It is now speaking about you and I. An action that is in process with no completion. You and I are the overcoming ones. In other words, the church is a company of believers that have been called out and separated from the world. And we have been called out, set apart, endowed with the Holy Spirit to be what? To be overcomers, to be victorious, and to be triumphant. Family, this is what the Christian life is all about. That in the midst of chaos and darkness and doubt and unbelief, in the midst of whatever pandemic, whatever plague, whatever situation, Jesus' bride is an overcoming, victorious, and triumphant bride. And we as the church are able to overcome. Amazing, that word overcomes also has like a, 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 like a, a law, a law term associated to it. In other words, it refers to a man on his acquittal in a court of law. And so what does that mean? That means that it carries the idea that you and I are no longer victims. We are victors. I want you to say that with me right now. Because of Jesus, I am no longer a victim. I am now a victor in Jesus' name. That's right. And as we continue to overcome, as we continue to be victorious through what Jesus did and what he did on the cross, amen, we, we occupy and we advance the kingdom of God right here in Durban, right where you might be in that city, in that country, in that nation. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is not coming back for a defeated, a half-hearted, weak, feeble, miserable, sad, and forlorn church. No ways. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. Amen. In other words, Jesus is busy building his church and he's using you and I to build that church. And you and I are part of that church that Jesus is coming back for. 
in Jesus' name. There's a declaration that's coming up right now on your screen, and I want you to uh, lift your voice. I want you to say that this is going to be a series that I'm doing, actually. Next week, we're going to continue with this. But right there in your living room, in your study, wherever you might be, maybe you're in the kitchen, maybe you're outside, I don't know where you are, let's lift up our voices together and say that declaration. You ready? Here we go. I am the church Jesus is coming back for, created in the image of God, called out, set apart by Jesus, anointed and empowered by His Spirit. God's mandate is to occupy and advance His kingdom on this earth by lifting up Jesus and winning the lost at any cost. It is a mandate that has never changed and will forever remain the same until Jesus comes back again. I am his chosen generation, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his overcoming, victorious, and triumphant church. I am his feet, his hands, his heart, and I am part of the church Jesus is coming back for, and so too are you, my friend, watching right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. We're overcoming. We're victorious. We are triumphant. No matter what we might be going through, we, at the end of the day, get to be the winners. Amen. Can you say amen? Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, wherever you might be today, you can be a part of this amazing church. 2,000 years ago, Jesus shed his holy blood, royal blood, sinless blood. It wasn't the blood of an animal. It wasn't the blood of a goat or a chicken or anything like that. But it was God's blood, holy blood, royal blood, sinless blood, perfect blood that was shed for you and for me. And the only way that we can be a part of this church that Jesus one day is coming back for is by having His blood cleanse us of all our sins, of all our iniquities. I mean, every single one of those sins that we ever committed, in just a moment, God can cleanse us and wipe our account free in the name of Jesus. You say, Pastor, I don't feel worthy enough. Friend, you never ever will feel worthy enough. It's not based on your worthiness. If it was based on our worthiness, we would never have qualified. But I want you to know that Jesus came and took our place and took all of our sins. The Bible says, he who knew no sin was made to know our sin. So it's not like Jesus ever did sin. He was without sin. But God placed on him our sins. And that's how the wrath of God was appeased. And so because of that, when God looks at us, He looks at us through the eyes of grace and mercy. God knows exactly what you and I did. He knows exactly where we failed. He knows exactly where we messed up. But today, you know, the, the awesome thing is that we can come as we are with all of our faults, and we can come and we can say, Jesus, you know what? I recognize that I'm a sinner away from God and that I am in need of a living, loving Savior. And I know that instantly Jesus will receive you to Himself. That's the amazing thing. So right there in your 
places of residence, wherever you might be. Maybe you're watching this at work, I don't know. And you know that you're away from God. Friend, you don't need to be left on the outside. You don't need to be cut off from God. You, you, you can be a part of God's family. You say, how does this happen? I don't know how it happens. All I know is that it's a supernatural work of God's amazing love. And by the power of His Spirit, where you and I, as the people of God, become born again. That's what the Bible says. And we become born again just simply means that we are made alive unto God. So today, I want to pray for you. Would, you. would you say this prayer after me right now? Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. Just as I am with all of my faults, all of my failures, all of my sin, I come and I repent today. I confess the fact that I am a sinner that is in need of a living, loving Savior. Jesus, with my heart I believe and with my mouth I confess that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank you for your blood that cleanses me and washes me and I receive eternal life and the forgiveness of all of my sins, and I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe it's a rededication, uh, would you just pop your email on that Facebook uh, live screen right now? Just uh, let us know, because we'd like you to join us for a Zoom, uh, to visit us in the Zoom lounge after this session. So if you prayed that prayer, maybe it's a rededication. Maybe you, you knew that you were away from God, but you've prayed it again today and you've meant it in your heart. And this is a, just a, a sincere prayer that you have made before God. We'd love to spend time with you, just to pray with you more, just to encourage you more, just to help you in your walk and in your recommitment to God, okay? So there is a Zoom lounge, and we have some wonderful people that want to chat to you. If you can just pop your email uh, on that Facebook chat right now, on that Facebook page as you're watching, and we'll get back, and you can be part of a Zoom lounge after this time. Family, I've really enjoyed uh, spending time with you today preaching on the church that Jesus is coming back for. As I said, I'm going to continue this. It's a series, but I want to pray for you before we go. Because I know, you know, this is our sixth week in lockdown, and I know that perhaps patience is running thin, and maybe there's been frustration, and maybe there's been a bit of anxiety, and we've tried to smile and try to be the best that we possibly can. I want to just encourage you just to stay in God, stay in the Word, stay connected. This is part of connecting. This is part of receiving the Word, imbibing the Word. This is part of impartation that comes through uh, these various platforms, social media platforms. But I want to just encourage you right now, okay? And I want to pray for you because the church that G Jesus is coming back for is an overcoming, victorious, and triumphant church, which means that regardless of what's happening out there, we're overcomers, we're victorious, and we're triumphant, okay? So let's pray, especially for those today that I feel there's a bit of weariness, 
and there's a bit of just, uh, you know, fatigue, spiritual fatigue, and maybe endurance, your spiritual endurance is beginning to run a bit low. Father, I bring all of these precious people to you right now. Those, God, who at this moment might feel like they boxed in right now. They might not be able to see light at the end of the tunnel, but I pray in the name of Jesus. I come against every uh, word that's been spoken against them, every lie of the enemy. You said Every weapon, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So even though words, unkind words have been spoken, even though unkind things have been said, and Lord, I don't know, words of damnation, words of, of destruction, words of hatred have, have been spoken out against these people, uh, us as your people. Right now, we take authority and we break the powers of those words today, God. And I release the power of your word. And your word is a word of life. Your word is a word of triumph. Your word is a word of victory. We're no longer victims. We are victorious, God. And I release today the power of God, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, and the fact that we are winners at the end of it all. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Family, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed uh, this time coming to be with you today. Mothers, I do trust that you will enjoy the rest of this day. It's Mother's Day. Every other day, of course, is Father's Day. I'm just kidding. But from me, we love you. Can't wait to get back together with you. Until next time, bye-bye.